Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Ghostly Paranormal. Today we're going to be going over the history of the Crescent Hotel. Okay, so before we get into the history of the Crescent Hotel, I'd like to go over like a brief history of Eureka Springs. Because Eureka Springs is a really, there's a really cute, quirky little town. Um, mostly built of limestone. And if you know anything about limestone, uh, apparently it's supposed to like lock in paranormal energy. Okay, so before... Eureka Springs was a town, though. It was settled by Native American tribes, um, Osage, Cato, Quapaw, maybe more. I'm not quite sure. But they supposedly used Eureka Springs as for, like, ceremonial stuff. Like, no wars were allowed to happen there because of the healing springs there, like the sacred waters. So then... There was, like, apparently um, Hernando de Santo, or Soto, I might be butchering his name, but a Spanish explorer apparently stumbled across it in the 16th century. Um, but it wasn't until the 19th century that it was really settled down. Um, um, a man by the name of Dr. Alvin Jackson apparently miraculously cured his daughter of a debilitating illness from the waters at the spring and so word spread and people began visiting the area in search of these healing waters so by the 1870s eureka springs had transformed into like a really popular rest resort and the town's population swelled there were like grand hotels and bathhouses built one of those grand hotels was the Crescent Hotel, and we'll get into that in a second. But Eureka Springs had a falling off during the Great Depression, as a lot of places did, and that kind of paved the way for a lot of really bad things to go on in the town, and we'll get to that also in a minute. So that's just a really brief history of the town of Eureka Springs. Now let's go into the history of the Crescent. So if I butcher some of these names, I do apologize, but so the Crescent was designed in 1885 by an architect of the name Isaac Taylor, who would go on to design the St. Louis World's Fair in 1901. It was planned to be a grand luxury resort. It was built uh, around for around three hundred thousand dollars at the time, which is around nine million dollars in today's money, and it was to capitalize on the town's reputation for its healing springs. So they had a lot of immigrant laborers from Ireland that were brought in to build it, particularly for the stonework. It was also, you know, mainly built out of limestone, as everything in the town was. So when I was there, I did a tour, and apparently. The town had several fires because it was made of wood. So to counteract that, they started building everything out of limestone. But so this will lead into um, one of the first 
hauntings of the hotel. So according to legend, um, one of the stonemasons, a man named Michael, fell to his death and he landed on what is now room 218. And Michael is said to have a thing for the ladies and will fondle them. And if there's men in bed with him, he'll push them out of the bed. So around 1908, it was changed from this luxury hotel resort into a um, college for young women. And during this time, um, it's said that a girl committed suicide or was pushed to her death. Um, And this was out of the third floor balcony. Also, while I was there, I took a tour and the guy said that people often see like it looks like a woman falling from the third floor balcony, usually around 1030 at night. So I couldn't find any hard facts and I don't think they had any hard facts either, but it it's presumed that the girl might have been pregnant and she might have been murdered because she was pregnant. So the girls' school closed down in 1924. After that, it opened again in 1930 as a junior college. And after the college closed in 1934, the Crescent was leased as a summer hotel. So in 1937, during the Great Depression, the town's not doing well, in rolls in the man that caused probably most of the hauntings in this hotel, Mr. Norman Baker. So Norman Baker bought the hotel and he planned to turn it into a radio station slash pharmacy slash sanitarium. He promised the Chamber of Commerce of the town that he would run a national campaign for his new hospital um, and it would bring in just a ton of money and steady... um, visitors for the town so he spent i think fifty thousand dollars renovating the hotel painting the interior he did it in carnival colors um, especially lavender which was his favorite color he was like a vaudeville act and so he was turning this into like a hospital and we'll get to that in a second but one ways he thought that people could cure themselves was just to like will themselves to be better and so the fun like circusy vaudevillian colors was one of the cures he would use because it was just putting people in good spirits so he launched several ad campaigns one of them touting like the fresh air and healing crystals and the waters of eureka springs of course he promised desperate sick people that his miracle cure would make them well again So people with cancer and a whole host of other diseases began to flock to Baker's Cancer Hospital, Um, many signing away their life savings in the process. So regardless of the disease they were suffering from, the treatments they were given were the same. It was, like I said, um, fresh air, healing waters, willing yourself to be better, but also formula number five. So formula number five was this super medicine that Mr. Baker made, and it was made up of alcohol, carbolic acid, ground watermelon seeds, corn silk, clover leaves, of course, some of the healing water, and maybe more things. Um, 
that's the recipe I found online and they actually still have some of it bottled up in like the basement of the Crescent. If you go there and you do the tour, it's pretty cool. Um, Baker, I guess, stole the recipe from another con man and shocker, it doesn't do anything. It wasn't long though, before locals who worked at the cancer hospital began noticing suspicious going ons. Soon after it opened, one entire wing was soundproofed and sealed off behind a door, and that was locked from the outside, and it was called the pain ward. So patients that went to the pain ward were patients that weren't getting any better, and they were basically sent there to not be in the view of people because the idea of the cancer center was that it was this miracle place and everybody that went there was miraculously cured. Some patients were declared cured even when they were clearly in worse shape than when they checked in, and later they would return home and die within days. Some didn't even make it that far. They died on the train ride home. So rumors began to circulate among the locals that Baker was conducting medical experiments on the patients in the basement morgue, and that he was moving these bodies of the patients via tunnels to a crematorium in town. So, and that ended up being true. He would um, truck the dead bodies out at night after doing autopsies on them and then send them to the crematorium. Then they would cremate them and then they would spread their ashes in the catacombs under town. Um, it's confirmed that 44 patients died at the cancer hospital during the 20 months it was open, during the 20 months that it was open. Um, since these folks were already dying of a fatal disease like cancer, they weren't autopsied and no investigation was conducted on their deaths. One of the messed up things would be like, he would take people's identities, he would write their families and be like, they're just like a thousand dollars away from being cured. And then of course the families who cared about their loved ones at the cancer hospital would send another thousand dollars. And some of these people would already be dead. So he never got in trouble for any of this. He was run out of town, lost the hotel, but in 1940 federal charges were filed against him for mail fraud. He spent four years in prison after he got out of prison, he moved to Florida, and ironically, he died of cancer. Uh, the Crescent was left ownerless until 1946, and in the spring of 1946, the Crescent was purchased by John R. Constantine, um, Herbert E. Shutter, Herbert Byfield, and Dwight Nichols. March 15, 1967, the hotel was nearly burned to the ground. The only living owner at the time was Dwight Nichols. In 1997, Marty and Ellis Rognick, that I'm probably not saying that name right, they purchased the Crescent Hotel for $1.3 million, and they oversaw a six-year restoration and renovation of the hotel and its rooms. Uh, Marty died in a car crash in 2009. Uh, Ellis remains the hotel's current owner, and the building was listed on the Natural Registration of Historic Places in 2016. Some of the other hauntings, um, people will see like a woman 
missing part of her face at the end of beds. Oftentimes people hear what sounds like a, like a gurney being pushed down the hall. Apparently the third floor is like the most haunted floor. And that was where the pain ward was. People also um, report seeing a little boy, a ghost cat. There was a cat that lived there. I can't remember the name of the cat, but it's actually got a little grave outside. I think it died in like the early 90s. But people say that they will feel like the cat walking on their legs and stuff at night, which really, in my opinion, isn't the worst thing to be haunted by. But that's going to wrap up this episode, and that's just a brief understanding of the Crescent Hotel's history. Um, Next episode, I'll go over our investigation we did, and it was really fun. It's a really beautiful hotel, and I I love Eureka Springs, but if you're interested in that, check back here in a couple weeks, and I'll have an episode out. Bye.